Hey, everybody, it's Carrie Champion, and this is The Brown Print, a podcast that offers solutions and guidance for the marginalized and those who feel left out. These discussions will act as a guide to mentor those in need of direction and also to inspire those who feel hopeless. We will move the needle forward and speak out on the issues by way of dialogue and telling stories of those who need to be heard. I was sitting in Los Angeles in my beautiful office of my own late night talk show. Soon I would be driving my hybrid car to my beautiful fucking home to kiss my two beautiful and healthy children and my husband who had taken the year off to parent so I could focus on my career. All of this, all of it, because, because, because I was allowed bodily autonomy at 15. Ladies and gentlemen, Vizzy Phillips is our next guest on The Brown Print. She's an incredible actress and a writer. You've likely seen her on a ton of movies, right? One of my favorites, White Chicks, Cult Classic, Cougar Town, another favorite. Or maybe you might go back, way back to Freaks and Geeks. She's also hosted her own talk show called Busy Tonight. She wrote a very, very beautiful memoir. It's called This Will Only Hurt a Little, but I'm pretty sure it hurt a little more than a little. I hope you're following me. And now she hosts her own podcast called Busy Phillips is Trying Her Best. I invited her on the brown print because not only is she talented and such a sweetheart and a great mother and a loving wife, she's a staunch advocate for women's rights, Black Lives Matter, and everything in between. She's fighting for everyone. Trust me, you'll hear about it. She's worked in toxic environments for years, sexist Hollywood systems, you know about that. Busy can talk about being marginalized and discriminated against. In spite of all that she's been through, she has really truly paved her own way to success. She's done it her way, she'll tell you. I'm so inspired by her. You guys are going to enjoy this. You really are. I hope you're taking notes. You got your notepad? You do? Okay, great. Here we go. I don't know where I begin. Um, I like to tell a story every time someone comes on my podcast about how I met them and and how I believe I'm fortunate enough to uh, have a relationship in some form or fashion with everyone who comes on the brown print, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, So this this young lady uh, is someone who actually in a brief, brief instance changed my total perspective about white women. I know what you're thinking. That sounds crazy. What do you mean? Um, but she did exactly that. And I was in an angry place. And she made me realize that not all white women are bad people. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. The incomparable, the actress, the wonder mom, the great wife, uh, everything else, the businesswoman, the entrepreneur, Busy Phillips uh, on the brown print. Busy, I, I, I do have to say that about, about you because I really truly was angry uh, for a very long time. Also rightfully so, Carrie. Do you think so, though, Busy? Do I, I deserve does. that? I mean, yeah, I think you have the right to feel any way you need to feel about the women that you've been, you know, subjected to and the way that they've treated you. And I think that there is a thing that white women have have done sort of centering themselves for years. So it makes sense to me. That's beautiful that you said centering. Um, there's this comedian. She has this Netflix special. Sam J. Have you seen that? Um, I haven't watched it. Oh, my God. Can I just tell you, my agent, Lori Bartlett's going to kill me because she sent it. She represents Sam J. Okay. And she rep, She sent me that special before it came out. And she was like, busy. You have to watch this. You have to watch this. And, you know, Carrie, you and I talk a lot. You're like, when do you have time to do X, Y and Z? You know, the uh-huh. first thing that falls off for me is watching things. Uh, too, yeah, the, well, that makes sense. That's the last thing on your mind. I, I could see that. Totally. I have to well, watch the special, though. 
she um, says this funny, funny joke about white women. And it reminded me of what you just said about centering. She goes, I think I'm not a feminist. I think feminism is really about white women and they don't care about anybody else. And that's fine. He was like, she was like, but they should just say that. I, instead of acting like they care about all of us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that that's like a very valid point. And there's a real, there's been a real um, reckoning, I think, with feminists and be becoming like understanding what being an intersectional feminist is. And then, you know, like, have you heard the expression turf, um, which is Mm -hmm. like transgender, exclusionary, radical feminist. Mm -hmm. So like there are feminists that are like JK Rowling's bullshit. Mm -hmm. Like she's a turf. Um, So, you know, so there are, yeah, there are degrees to which, you know, women, especially white women, have looked out for just themselves as women, right. not all women, you know. Maybe with socialization, you taught me something, and I'm not kidding you. When you talked about how you grew up, I was like, well, that makes a lot of sense. And if I if I change my perspective and, and try to imagine, and I'm not saying that all white women or all white girls grow up the same way, but there is um, some, some real truth in having um, certain relationships with your mother versus your father and how you, mm-hmm. even in, in every community, and how you socialize as an adult. So with that said, I want you to tell me, I, I'm, I'm curious, how does one um, grow up and say, I want to be an actress. Like you, you probably knew at a young age, you were an artist. When yeah. did you just, when did you know? I mean, early, early, but I also come from a long line of, of would be performers, you know, like my, <laughs> I'm not part of any famous family. Sometimes people mistakenly think I'm part of like the famous Phillips family. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm not, I'm, my mom's a real estate agent. My dad's a, <laughs> An engineer, but um, they're both retired now. But um, but my mom did do high school theater. She wanted to be an actor and she was accepted to the Circle in the Square Theater in New York in the wow. early 60s or late 50s. I don't know. And her parents, you know, sort of told her that it wasn't an acceptable move for a wo- young woman to make po- yeah. that she needed to go to college and yeah. have, you know a different life. And so she did. And I know that that was always something that she regretted. And my sister and I both were very, you know, we were hams. We were like those little kids. You see it. I see it now as a mom. I'm sure you see it with some of your, like your friends, kids. There are kids that just sort of demand attention <laughs> in a good way. Like not in, there are kids that demand attention in a really bad way. And yeah. then there are kids that like, you're just like, that kid is really funny and uh-huh. weird and wants to entertain me. (laughs) That's what I was like. I was just like a weird little entertainer. Um, How would you entertain your family? What would you do? I mean, there were, it was definitely like lots of songs and dances and then, and like the theater thing was really important to me and doing school theater. That was like a lifeline because I wasn't a great student. I had ADD that was, you know, mostly un taken care of, undiagnosed, not medicated or anything. And so I struggled a lot in school. But the thing that always kept me going was being a part of plays. And and I remember like I had a teacher at one point say to me, Busy, I don't understand how you can memorize all those lines, but you can't memorize your times table. And I was like, I don't know what to tell you. It just interests me. Yeah. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So that was like it was like a lifeline for me. And I just always had I don't know. I think a little bit like you, like I always just had this idea of goals. Like I was a very goal oriented person. Like I want to move through this place that I'm in right now and I want to get there, you know, and I and I just didn't think that it was unreasonable for me to move to Los Angeles and be on a television show. <laughs> like I just thought that's obviously what's going to happen. And it did. And it did. Okay. Wait. So you leave from Arizona, wrong or right? Mm-hmm. Right. At what age? Um, to, well, I graduated from high school in Arizona and then I, I went to Loyola Marymount university here in LA and, uh, I just immediately hit the ground running and was like, how do I get an agent? How do I get a manager? And I was like determined to get an an agent or a manager in Scottsdale when I was in high school. Cause I knew I needed to move to LA with things on my resume. Uh And so this woman who was like a manager out of the back of her house in Scottsdale, you know, (laughs) (laughs) my manager. And, and she 
submitted me for and I got hired on an, a, an industrial job being a live Barbie doll for Mattel, essentially, okay. at okay. the pre-toy fair that was held in Scottsdale. And then they liked me so much. Mattel liked me so much. They flew me to New York City for the toy fair. Wow. Like I have that here. Days. Yeah. Wow. That's a big deal. Yeah. It was a big deal. I went to the E3 convention, too, because the this was in the 90s, but my doll had a CD-ROM, you know, that went uh-huh. with it. So I got to go uh-huh. to the electronics convention. Uh-huh. And Lisa Guerrero was they hired real actors. They flew in people from Los Angeles. They would try to hire as local, like locally, if if possible, in Arizona for the pre-toy fair. But, you know, if they couldn't find people, they'd fly in actors from L.A. to do it. And um, and Lisa Guerrero was one of these women that had worked for them pretty steadily over off and on over the years because it was like great money for mm-hmm. a little under two weeks work. I think you made like I mean, this is 96. I think I made like four thousand dollars. I'll take it. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard work because you're at basically a convention all day, but there's no publicity around it. They actually didn't want any publicity because it's, it, you know it's about their toys that are coming out in the future. So no one knows you did it. You know what I mean? So when I, so when I would go to New York to do it too, I did it for two years, I think in a row, the actors that were doing it in New York were like Broadway actors. Wow. Would make that money. And it was like great money for two weeks, you know, when you're trying to make it in New York. Okay, so then wait, I would gotta tell you, I'm fast forwarding, freaks and geeks gets picked mm-hmm. up. You start you start being you start doing movies, uh, and you became one of my favorites. Um and a in a classic, I'd like to say, uh white chicks. <laughs> I mean white chicks. White chicks lives on, man. It still is like cult classic. It's a cult classic. And can I tell you, Carrie, we had more fun making that movie. First of all, normally movies take like I, I don't know three months to make, right? Even like big budget ones. I feel like they don't take that long. I mean, sometimes like, I guess, five months, six -hmm. months. This one took forever because of that makeup that those boys had to sit through every day. They were in like four and a half, five hours of prosthetic makeup every day. But we just, we did have the best time. Um, All of the, all of the girls that were in the movie were, were great and uh and really nice girls like not it wasn't a bad atmosphere and um and then the weigh-ins are just so great like they're just i i just respect the what they do that they you have to you have to yeah well i also respect that they're so loyal to people that they've worked with for yeah yeah but also like you know the guy that was like Marlon's assistant on that movie like directs their directs movies for them now. Oh, you know wow. what I mean? Like oh, they're wow. not they're not like it it is in their family, you know, they like help mentor members of their family who want to get into the business and like bring them up, you know, and give them chances, but it's also like people like Mike who was an assistant and you know now is a director because Okay. You know, that's like a rarity that a guy would go from being like a big star's assistant to directing him in a movie. You know what yeah, I mean? Unheard of. Unheard but of. But they have no pretense. Like Marlon has no pretense about like that job that you used to do. You don't do that job anymore. Now you're a director, you know, like, yeah, it's not he doesn't see him as his assistant still. I don't know. Yeah. It's cool. I have to ask you this, though, as we because, you know, this podcast talks about, you know, it's about your life and how you've been able to overcome, how you've been able to make it. Um, and your story is absolutely beautiful. And it, it's not one that to me sounds of privilege um, because you are a woman and a woman in any industry is always working harder, I believe, and 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 more than likely dealing with, you know, these outside demons, I like to call that we don't always talk about because it's unheard of. You know, we've been socialized to be so kind and sweet to people who are mean to us. When you look back, what was the lesson? Well, I think there are a a few things. And it's a thing that Mark, my husband and I talk about too. Like when you're an artist or you're making things or putting things into the world, you have to think about what it is that you want to do. What is your purpose, right? Do you want to entertain people, real people, carry at home? Or, you know, people in the Midwest or people or do you want to be cool to like the executives and like a group of cool people in Hollywood 
I mean, I don't know. Some people just want to be cool and they make decisions based on that. Like, I feel really proud that I've been a part of projects as an actor and then even with my even with my talk show that really resonate with people. And do the like cool kids of comedy in Hollywood think that I'm cool? I don't fucking care. I don't know. Probably not, you know. And the same thing with Mark. Mark makes these like romantic comedies with his partner, Abby. And and, you know, occasionally like we have some of those friends that are like that cool crowd, you know, in Hollywood. And they'll offer a part to that person or, you know, they'll be like, you know, it's just really not my sensibility. I really can't. I don't know. Uh, you know, and I think that that's it. On one hand, it can it hurts. You just want you want to be accepted by people you think are cool and doing good work. But on the other hand, I don't know. I'm grateful and I like that people around this country like really connect with things that I've been a part of, like white chicks. I, 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 it's such another world for me. Like as yeah. you're talking, I'm all like, I would not have. I guess yes, because within every industry, there's another industry, another industry. There are layers and what I like to call industry on industry crime, you know? So I, I wouldn't have thought that <laughs> yeah, but it's true. would have, have felt like they, they only want to do, yes, I can see it now that you say it. I'm all like, oh, he's a cool actor or she's a cool actress. I could totally mm -hmm. see that. They want to be cool. I could see that, but that's just my judgment. I know nothing, first of all. Um, and it's also but, like historically been like a boys club, I think, especially in comedy. Yes. And, um, and I think as a woman, you've, I mean, I just have felt always expendable, you know, uh, and always like, you know, I mean, look, here's the here's the thing that 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 Keenan gave to me, you know, he was like, if you have any ideas, like always bring them. My door is always open, you know, and like for a man like of that level to say that to a 22 year old actor in this business at that time is like unheard, you know, it's pretty much unheard of. And it wasn't in any shade. <laughs> like, I'm just going to say this. Yeah. It he wasn't, wasn't like, it wasn't gross. Sit on my couch. It was literally yeah, like, was you have good ideas. Yeah. You have good ideas. If you have yeah. any ideas, bring them like, yeah. you know, yeah. and, and like, I think that that isn't, uh, I think that's a thing that happens a lot with men in the entertainment industry. And I don't think that that happens so frequently with women and younger women in the industry. That's why I love, like, I love what you do with mentoring yeah. young women. We got to give back to each other. We're so, women are so competitive. It's crazy. It's enough too. Like, by the way, but that's, we've been conditioned by like the patriarchy and by dudes yeah. to think that yep. like, there's only room for, for one what? of us. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. we never even considered like, wait, that's stupid. <laughs> well, you know that you, you led me there because if I, if I, you know, in my brief history of maybe wanting to act and do some things, whenever I would go out for a role, because if you live in LA people, it just happens eventually. It's like, you should be an actress. Um, I, I am no good at all. But whenever I did go out, I would always get compared to other people that whatever fit the requirements, the comps, if you will, as if we're right. buying a house. So I know that you have your comps. Like you, you, you know, you and so-and-so are up for the same role. There's like a bevy of girls or maybe three or four girls, that, ladies rather. Oh my God you're always up against. And did you like them or not? Let's Do you want to hear who I lost like two, two? I think I lost two parts to Tracy Ellis Ross. <laughs> and you she know, doesn't look like you, though. I know. But like this that, just in. <laughs> but, but here's the thing. Here's the thing, Carrie. I think okay. that I think that they're. And this is the this is the problem. And this is this is where it all lies, like in the difference between like and why comedy, I think, is a boys club and and why I think we still have a lot of work to do for women. Right. Men in comedies are like allowed to be whatever they are. You can be you can look like Jason Siegel and be like the lead of a comedy movie with like, an, you know, and Jason's not a bad guy looking guy. I, you know, we're friends and I've known him for a million years, but like. That just doesn't you have to be Kate Beckinsale to be the lead of a comedy. You know what I mean? Like in in Hollywood by Hollywood standards. Break like, that down it's for like, me. You can you have to be what for a guy? You can look like anything. And for a girl yeah, and for a woman lady, like you, yeah. a lady, you have to look like Katie Heigl. You have to look, you know, Catherine Heigl or, you know, Mila Kunis. Like, you know, she's like these are like 
incredibly beautiful women. And, you know, I think that, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I actually just don't know. I think that, I think that for a long time, I was trying to, like you say, like you have your specs, right? Yeah. And I, and I would, I would say that just like the roles weren't sort of open enough to being, you know, to allowing female actors to be as quirky as they are in those roles. It was like, well, we're just looking for like a hot girl who can like turn a joke, you Uh... know, and a hot girl who can turn a joke is a fucking talent. Let me tell you, you know, like, like Mila Kunis, you know, she's a hot girl that can turn a joke. But I'm just saying, I think that like I spent a long time in my career going up for these parts where I'm like, well, yeah, I'm not going to fucking get this. Like, because there's no place for my personality. You know, the the feedback would be like, it's too, she's too something. She's too big. She's too broad. She's too weird. She's, you know, whatever that is. And like the dudes in comedies would be given those shots to be too weird, too loud, have, you know, have like not be traditionally <sighs> hot in certain uh-huh. ways uh-huh. to not have perfect bodies, like to have uh-huh. to be fine, just normal, yeah. uh-huh. you know, do you know, does that make sense? What I'm saying? Yeah. So would somebody like, well, no, she's a comedian, but I was thinking some of these comedians who aren't traditionally hot, who break through, you know, who have those moments, we've seen them, you know, and you're like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Like she Melissa may- McCarthy is like a yeah. perfect example of someone who became like a movie star yes. off of bridesmaids. But again, that's like Paul Feig and Judd Apatow, like, doing you know this like it's like they wanted that to be you know they wanted to populate it with just really funny real women it wasn't like I'm just saying like I went out for so many comedies for so many years where it was like there were two female parts in the comedies there was like the wife or the girlfriend and Mm. then like the best friend of the wife or the girlfriend has have things you know what changed? I'm saying? And yeah, then, I get then, it. No, now that I'm as you're talking, I'm thinking of all like yeah. movies that I've seen. You're right. There's only so much for a comedic actress. You know what I and mean? And then if it was like, and then if it was like a female-driven comedy, it was like based around the idea. I mean, it was just like it was like Cameron Diaz. <laughs> it was like the yeah. hottest. It was literally like the hottest people you can imagine. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh-huh. And there was no place for like a weirdo like me to sort of fit in. And on t- and tele- on TV, I really f- figured it out. You know, I was like able to really to play all the things on television. But like also Regina King, I like was up for this part that Regina got in a movie. And I. So what you're saying is, is that they have. A woman. You don't have yeah. to be anything but funny woman in the movie. Go. That's it. Or because I don't see how you're losing a Tracy Ellis Ross and Regina King. I would think maybe Anna Ferris or, you know, <sighs> you know, Cameron Diaz, as you mentioned, or I don't know. I'm thinking of other actresses I don't know. that have your comps. So I don't what does that mean? What what are you telling me about the world of comedic actresses in Hollywood? There's only a few roles for you guys. And they yeah. only oh, yeah. let you to be in yeah, one yeah, yeah. box. Yes. Yes. And so like any of the like more interesting or like varied roles, you're going to lose to you're going to not get it. And it'll be somebody like totally different. I'm trying to think of other people who are like totally different who got cast in things I really wanted. There have been so many things that it's hard to keep track, to be honest. So crazy. Okay, I. Isn't it nuts? But how do you stay focused and determined and say, I, you know what? I'm still pushing through. I don't care. I don't know. This I kinda is like, my craft. I kind of like checked out. <laughs> I kind of stopped you? doing it. Yeah. I sort of stopped doing it. I just decided it wasn't really worth it. And, and it was just too painful. And I turned, and that was like around the time when I, I had, I had tested for bridesmaids and I didn't get it. And I was bummed. I was so oh, bummed about that. You would have been and, great. Well, Okay. It didn't happen, Carrie. So I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Can we go redo it? It's fine. And I had yeah. gotten and I had gotten like replaced on an animated movie by Kristen Wiig at oh the, my like God. around this the is, same time. Being an actress is heartbreak. Yeah. And it was I mean, it was it was a heart. It was heartbreaking. It was a bummer. And then I lost a part because I had had Birdie. For, this was a television comedy, but I'd lost a part because I had just had my daughter, my first daughter, and I wasn't like back to my regular 
fighting weight or whatever. And the network like was like, no, we can't. Can't do it. You're making me sad. You're making me sad. Carrie, it was sad. It was it was sad, but I'm not sad now. I'm okay now. How did you turn that around? How do you get to okay? Someone's listening to this and they are a a struggling actor and they are actress and they think you've made it. They're watching your, your IG stories and, and yeah. watching you live a life. And they're like, damn, this woman has done shit. I wish I could do. I would say that I came up in a very particular time where, um, women especially were not generating their own content. Okay. So like if I could, there's no world in which I go back and do it all over again. But if I could go back and do it all over again, I would, I would generate my own content. That's what I think is different for comedic actresses today. I think that like all of the social media, you, but also like YouTube and all of those things have given so many more opportunities for people to show what they can do and who they are and where their strengths are. And when I was starting out in the late 90s and early 2000s, you could be essentially one thing. You could be an actor for hire and you would go to these auditions where, you know, middle-aged white men had written the role of the girlfriend or wife of the main comedic guy. And it just was like a bummer. There just wasn't, there was nowhere to go. You know what I mean? And that role, by the way, you would, you would fucking work all day on it all night, all day and go in for the guy. And then they'd be like, so they offered it to Isla Fisher. And you're like, Okay, well, why the fuck did I go in? Yeah. And they're like, well, they just wanted some backup options, you know, just in case her deal doesn't close. Yeah. You're like, you know what? No, thank you. Thank you. No, thank you. I mean, that that's like a thing that happened so many times, like, you know, like work so hard, work so hard. And they're like, I mean, they they put an offer out to Kate Hudson. It looks like she's going to do it. And you're like, what? (laughs) What? I mean, what? what are you talking about? Okay. So how am I, why did I waste my time? You know? And like so much of it did feel like an exercise in futility. And I wish that if I could go back in time, the one thing I would do is I would, is I would really focus on generating my own content, which is the thing that I have done in the last like six ish years, which is the thing that's brought me financial freedom and success and made me more chilled out and made me not care about like auditioning for some dumb movie or even missing out. Look, I'll be honest with you. I was, I was like offered a part in a movie that I love, uh, that I couldn't, that was a, like, it was a bit part and I, but I would have loved to do it, but it was, it coincided with my daughter's third birthday and I would have had Mm -hmm. to be in Atlanta Mm -hmm. for her birthday. And I just was like, I can't, I can't do it. Like, good for you. And you know what? I don't regret it. It's fine. Good for you. Good for you. It's fine that I wasn't in that movie even. And also I love that movie. So it's fine. Can you tell me what the movie was? It was Girls Trip. Oh! I think Kate Walsh ended up playing it. I know. That's a bummer. No. You were there for your daughter's birthday. I know. I know. No, I know. I like, and you know. I don't have like I don't regret any of those decision that decision. I don't regret that decision. And then and the only thing I wish is that I had really understood that it just the the problem is like it's easy for me to say in retrospect, but at the time it was very very hard for for women to like write your own things to star in. It just yeah. wasn't really happening yet. And but so you're doing it now. The advice right, you're giving is amazing and you're doing it now. And I think, look, all of our, I think you probably had to experience everything you experienced to know that you needed to do this. If everything right. was handed to you, I'm a big believer in working hard, like hustling. Like I never, I never not hustle. I yeah, I'm a hustler. Hi. And, 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 and that gives us financial freedom and that allows us to do other things. And we're not, we don't live in one box. You know, that's why I left ESPN. My hand, I'm itching my hand right now. It means money's coming through. That means my age is about to text me and tell me. Oh, that's so good. My palms always itch when that happens. (laughs) That's true. Um, It's true. Our money's coming guys. Okay. So good. Yeah. In your book, you're very open about a lot of, of, of personal and professional experiences. And I, you know, you guys, you guys got to go out and get it. Uh, this will only hurt a little, um, or maybe 
maybe a little more. I don't know. I mean, this it hurt a lot, but yeah, this will only hurt a lot. <laughs> this will only keep, hurt a little, <laughs> but keep doing it. You talked Thanks. about, and I think it's, I'm really a big believer in having uncomfortable conversations and you tell me how you want to talk about it. You said while you were um, on the set of Freaks and Geeks, you and James Franco had an altercation. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, what was interesting about putting that story in my book was that, first of all, you know, that the, uh, people can think whatever they want to think about me, but truly like the thesis, having not people who don't know me, um, the, the the true thesis and through line of the book and what I wanted to what I wanted to put into the world was just my experience um, living as, you know, a woman, a white a privileged white woman, but as a woman, but still in, a woman. Yeah. Yeah. Still a woman in this particular time in history, growing up in this particular time, the messages I was sent and given, um, and the place that I ended up and have gotten to in terms of how I view my place and what I now realize, uh, I want for all women moving forward. So, but that's like told through like some, some traumatic stories, some Mm -hmm. funny stories, like some just stories of, of experiences. And, you know, Freaks and Geeks was such an incredible experience from start to finish. And I included the story of what happened on set with me and James, because first of all, he and I had talked about it publicly like three times before and we're all good. Like, it's fine. Okay. Um, and so I didn't think it would be like actually a shocking revelation since it had been documented. However, I guess, you know, that's a little bit naive of me given me t- like the Me Too movement. However, again, <laughs> there were no like allegations against him when I like wrote and submitted my book. And so that all came after. So it made it more interesting to the press. Mm. Um, But basically, like, yeah, he and I didn't get along when we did Freaks and Geeks. And we had this, like, crazy day on set, altercation. He threw me to the ground. And, you know, essentially, like, nothing, you know, nothing was really done. Like, he he was sort of just like, kind of like, can't do that. You can't, like, throw people to the correct women to the ground and he had to like apologize to me but it wasn't like there was no real ramifications for it and you know and I think that that set you know that sends certainly sends a message to 19 20 year old me of what the hot guys are gonna be able to get away with that like you better fucking believe I wouldn't be able to get away with that, you know, or um, a person of color unsaid, probably not going to be able to get away with that. Right. So. uh, Wow. You know, and then and then and it was, you know, and it was okay, like it was okay, And he and I are fine. Like Mark, my husband's seen him at SoulCycle a bunch of times since the book came out. Like everything's fine. But I think. But no, the message, the messaging isn't good, though. What you're saying is that the look the other way for bad behavior. Right. For boys. Mm-hmm. For boys is totally OK. I worked mm-hmm. I worked with two very mean guys for several years at ESPN on live television and they were mean to me and they did not care. And society didn't care. Yeah. And so the message was very clear. I was expendable, expendable. and they could behave any way they wanted to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And 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 they're not only it's you know, I have friends on other television shows, you know, up until recently who were on shows with men that exhibited really horrible behavior in many different ways. And they you know, it's 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 an issue and it's a part of what sort of upholds this like toxic masculinity and and abuse that people put up with um, for a myriad of reasons, because these guys are making them money because they they feel like those men aren't expendable because somehow they've gotten like this idea that while you or I are expendable, Carrie. Mm-hmm. Oh, this actually weirdly I don't want to use her name, but this actually weirdly happened to a friend of mine. Basically, she was on a show with a dude for that was just not not, you know, one of those guys, not great, not a good, not a good dude. And, uh, and after 
like a lot of just turmoil or whatever. She was the one that like had to leave the show. Mm, and of course, because they were and they like replaced her with some young per, you know, woman that they thought whatever. And the fans hated it. And the person coming in had an insurmountable job because she couldn't do what this other per, you know, what my friend had been doing forever. And then they went back to my friend and like had her come back on the show. And I, I think it like just illustrates that. I think that people still even post me too. They really do have this idea that like, for whatever reason, men are special <laughs> and singular and women aren't like, and women are just there, you know, we're mm-hmm. a dime a dozen and like, mm-hmm. we will just be replaced. And, mm-hmm. and that's just not true. It's just mm-hmm. not true. Um, but yeah, you know, what upset me though, back to the Franco story in my book, what upset me though about how that was the thing that like the press really glommed onto was that I felt as though I had written this like incredibly personal book that went through all different facets of my experiences. And the only thing that the press wanted to write about was the movie star, you know, kid Mm. that, and I was just like, still, Hey guys, can you just write about me? This is about me. It's my book. Yeah. I'm centering. Yeah. Because it's my own fucking book. (laughs) Um, Anyway, but you know, I think that that's, I think it's an important thing to keep talking about and keep being, I love that you say that those, you have worked with dudes at ESPN that were toxic and mean to you on air. And the only way that we change it busy is we talk about it and we let it be known. And it comes either at that moment or it comes when we feel a little more free or when we, when we have the right mindset to do it, when, when we feel safe enough to share. I don't know about you. I, my hope for a younger generation of women is that they, is that they speak to it in the moment. I hope so. I don't think so though. I think it'll take a generation after. I hope so, though. I hope I hope there's somebody listening. I hope there are people that you share this story with. There are people who know you. I know I'm going to share the story. That is speak up in the moment, in the moment and just say, like, this isn't okay. But you know what? I've I've failed a few times and I and I went back to try to, you know, course correct. But some of my mentees will say, hey, I'm being sexually harassed. How do you handle it? Or they're 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 saying things to me that are uncomfortable. What should I do? And I and I and I said in the most vulnerable way, I said, I wish I had the perfect advice. I wish I could say to you, tell them, stop now. Don't I'll go tell on you. But knowing I said, if I do say that to you, there will be repercussions. I can't lie. You you may not advance. You may not keep that apprenticeship. They may not want to help you. And you have to be okay with that. And in that moment, I was like, that's my advice. I said, no one does that to me now. And no one, well, no one does that to me now. Like I, I've moved on and I've worked in so many different places and I'm so vocal since I've left ESPN in that short period of time, even in my last, you know, few years there, nobody would ever do it to me because everyone's like, she's so mean, she's so tough, but I present no nonsense because I don't want any bullshit. I don't want to deal with it. I want to do my work the same way you want to go home. Remember I told you, I said, black women, nine times out of 10, we just want to do our work and go home. We don't want no bullshit. I just want to go home. I want to hang out with my family and friends and do the job and you're right. This generation behind us should call it out in that yeah. moment, no matter what happens. You are so right. Ugh. I think ultimately, though, I think that's a result. I told you uh, when we met and I'm, I'm and this is going to be my pivot into the activist that you are because you are a badass. You can't sometimes you can't see who you are on the outside looking in um, and you encapsulate all that. Obviously, that's why your children are, are who they are. They see you and then they take it to another level of freedom because you allow them to be. But I, when I first met you over Share the Mic, I was really blown away about your commitment to being free and fair for all people. Like, you know, sometimes I'm centering and it could be Black Lives Matter or it could be, you know, one of the guys who was, you know, many of the black men who've been murdered. I can be focused mm. on that. But you are all across the board. You're talking about... Um, the community, the lesbian, the LGBTQ community, you are talking about Black Lives Matter. You're talking about making sure that everyone, you know, is using their resources. Women's reproductive rights. Yes. Or even like the flowers. Yeah. Voting or the flowers you sent me. They had a purpose. They had a meaning. You know what I mean? Every aspect of what you do (laughs) 
literally is about making sure you're giving back or giving someone a platform or giving someone a voice or encouraging someone else or raising money for a charity. Where did that come from? I don't know. I mean, a little bit, I think it has to do with with my mom and that charity and charitable giving was always something that she just integrated into her life seamlessly. It wasn't like a thing that I ever thought was I don't know, like it just was like a given, you know, that she would be like collecting stuff for St. Vincent de Paul. And she was like delivering meals for meals on wheels for a while. And, you know, and she did a lot of different things and was interested in a lot of different things, truly, to to help out with. And that just that our jobs as humans are to look around us and see what other humans need Mm. and help out. And like, I don't know. So so it's obviously been ramped up, I would say, in the last four years, five years since this horrible person became a reality in, mm-hmm. in our government. Mm-hmm. Um, but even before then, I would say for the last decade. Yeah, about the last decade, things like the public library here in Los Angeles that provides so many incredible services you know, people can get it's not a GED from the Los Angeles Public Library. It's an actual high school diploma. Like That's yeah. fantastic. And, it, you know, the library information is the great equalizer, Carrie. That is Amen. that is the truth. Amen. And so and so that's what I always try to focus on, like a lot of child based things, a lot of things that help people with education, things that bring dignity, like World Central Kitchen and, you know, good meals. Um um, you know, community based organizations. And I always and I and again, like I am privileged enough, but I also am a working mom. Like I find things that are sort of easy for me to like dip in and out of. And I always defer to the community leaders because they're the ones that are like on the ground doing the work. And in the case of like women's reproductive rights, there are so many organizations and women and especially, you know, by POC women around this country who've been doing the work for so long, for so many years, they've been fighting this fight, fighting this fight, fighting this fight. And I truly do. I, I feel I feel embarrassed that as a privileged white woman living in my bubble in Los Angeles, I allowed myself to not speak up or be involved earlier because of a fear of of a controversial topic that I have no controversy in how I feel about. Um, But I just was able to sort of blindly ignore what was happening in the rest of the country because I just felt like. Well, it'll all Roe will never be overturned. It's a, you know, it's a federal. It's not, it's no, but it'll be fine. And I just wasn't really paying attention to what was happening until the last couple of years. And now I'm nobody was paying attention. Yeah, I know. Nobody. Otherwise, you wouldn't have that man in office. Nobody was paying attention. It is it is well, an indictment on our, our, our apathy towards others and world affairs. That's all it is. It's such a fucking bummer. But I mean, we have a lot like here's the other thing, though, like there's a lot of work to be done and there's a lot of places to do work. And, you don't. and I think people get overwhelmed and they don't like know where to start or where do I even focus? And it's like, pick one. Anyone. It it doesn't. Anyone. Google anyone. Pick one, pick five and then start there. And it doesn't have to be overwhelming. It's just start helping. That's it. I've been working with this organization in Hollywood called Holly Grove. It provides mental health services to kids. Um, and then it provides like a lot of family counseling and training. And in the last two years, it's provided a lot of legal assistance for people who maybe are not in the country legally, you know, and are afraid of being deported or afraid of, you know, when they drop their kids off at school, ICE being there, you know, those kinds of things, which are real issues, especially in Los Angeles that people have had to deal with in the last couple of years. And I've been involved with them for, I mean, I want to say like 11 years I've been, and, and my, my degrees of which I'm able to participate in their organization vary from year to year. I can, some years I did, I did a play production with them like a couple of years ago when I wasn't working, you know, like didn't have a steady job and was able to go every week for six weeks and, you know, work with these kids. 
Um, and so sometimes I physically volunteer there. Sometimes I just am writing a check at the end of the year or the beginning of the year. Or sometimes I'm passing along the Amazon wish list to my followers. Or sometimes I'm trying to do like a matching donation thing. And I just feel like people get this idea that if they can't go like whole hog into a thing that it's not worth it mm -hmm. to those mm -hmm. people. But let me tell you, every time I've, even if I've only been able to show up once every four months yeah. in the last year, yeah. that is something. It counts and it matters. <laughs> it counts and it counts. It matters to the kids and it matters to the parents and it matters to the people who are there doing the work it every matters. day. You I'd know? rather have a great brief interaction than a long shitty one. You know what I mean? <laughs> so whatever, whatever you can give is great. Okay. So, yeah. so as we wrap this up, I, I told you how I felt about you and I wasn't lying. Aww. I think that you don't, I think you don't understand how great you are and what a true treasure. Not only were you put on this, this lovely planet to entertain us, but you were also put on this planet as an example of what, of what we can be if we just give a little, cause you give a lot Aww. and it is, I mean, I don't know where you get the energy. I'm, I'm tired already. So our folks who are watching us are listening and a little bit of watching will say, what is next for busy? Tell us about your podcast first. Yes. You had, what other big projects or projects in general can I help you with or hear Thank about? Thank you for being my second guest on my podcast. I really wanted to support you on your new You're show. You're coming on I my love. show. I know. I'm excited. <laughs> I'm super excited. Okay. You got your podcast. So the podcast is called Busy Phillips is Doing Her Best. And uh, I'm joined by two friends of mine who I worked with on Busy Tonight, which was my talk show that was, you know, kind of short lived. Yeah. Um, Casey St. On, she was my showrunner and Shantira Jackson, who uh, was one of my our writers and a comedian. And she's amazing. And now amazing. she's working on Amber Ruffin's late night show. She just got oh, hired on that. Good for her. Awesome. Um, and we sort of like go through how we're doing our best this week, who else in the world is doing their best or not their best, who could be doing better. And then we talk to people um, that we're friends with like you, yeah. um, Ike Barinholtz. We talked to Rosie O'Donnell last hey. week and yeah. uh, Michelle Kwan is this was today's episode that just came out uh -huh. um, about pivots in their lives and like setbacks and, and how they moved forward. Cause I feel like collectively, most of us in this country right now are facing a lot of like, pivots That's all a lot did. of things that we weren't planning on that now we have to you know be second grade teachers and try to work from home and try to help you know facilitate and some of us are have lost our jobs are being furloughed or you know there's a lot happening right now and I think it's I think it's heartening to hear stories from people who have gone through that and come out on the other side like I'm good now. You know, yeah. this is, we can make this through. You have to lean into the pivot. That's the Ooh. one thing I do now. Ooh. Oh, and, and on this note, oh my God, you've dropped so many. I mean, when I tell you, you've given away free jewelry, which I call <laughs> gems, you have dropped so many gems. Um, what would be your advice personally and professionally for, for the young busy and the young actor or actress, for the young woman, all encompassing that is listening to this? I think it's like, it's, it's, um, to steal a phrase from Shirley Chisholm, <laughs> build your own table. <laughs> don't wait for Don't wait for a seat at the table. Yeah. Build your own. And then make sure that there's room for a lot of different people who look like you, who don't look like you, who um, think like you. The best you can ever do in anything is to make sure that you're constantly surrounding yourself with people who are different than you are, because it's the only way you're going to be open and realize where you fall short or where you're or where you're where your, you know, liberal views stop if you're liberal or, or where you could think, start thinking about things in a different, in a totally different direction. Yeah. You know, we can all do better. That's the thing. Like if you think that you are it and there's no room for expansion or growth and you're perfect the way that you are, I have news for you. Mm -hmm. You are not. <laughs> you're a fucking mess. <laughs> the next book. 
you from know, Busy Phillips. True. You're the a only, fucking mess. <laughs> you're a fucking mess. <laughs> the only people, the only people who are interesting to me are people who are like continuing to to do better and to yeah. want more and to seek out how to be more inclusive or like change, you know, I don't understand, ask questions. It's like, it's like, why is it a bad thing to say you don't know the answer? That's one of the yeah. biggest problems I have with this jerk that's going to be voted out of the White House soon yeah. Is, yeah. The, is this insistence that like the, and this, and this like propagating some idea that being the best at, everything is achievable or possible or even a good thing. It's not like if you think you're the best at everything, if you're you think you're the expert, how could you ever let anyone else in to give their side or to how could you ever have your mind opened? I don't know. No, I just feel like that's that's the key. Busy for president. Here we go, guys. Oh We're gosh. starting the campaign. Grassroots no, right here. No more celebrities in the White House, please. No more moderately successful television actors in the... <laughs> well, you're more than moderate, so that's why it might be okay. Yes. Okay. Busy Phillips, thank you so much for coming on The Brown Print. Can tell us right. how you get it done. I appreciate you. I just appreciate you. I love you. You're just I the love best. you, too. No, you're the best. Now, go spend some time with those kids. I will. So when I tell you, as I mentioned, she was giving out free jewelry, like people just don't give you free jewelry. There was diamonds, there were sapphires, there were all kinds of goods in there. There were a lot of gems. I had a lot of takeaways. I mean, she was dropping so much knowledge. And so I'm going to tell you my biggest takeaways. I don't know if you felt this way, but hopefully you did. She said, we all can do better, just a little better. There is some area in which I know for me, I, I am not doing my best and I can do a little better. Information is the great equalizer. I don't know about you, but when I am prepared, I feel like no one can tell me anything, or at least I don't feel like I am not supposed to be at the table. Uh, And speaking of being at the table, this is probably the most important. She realized, maybe later in her career, but she realized you have to build your own table and then invite other people who don't look like you to sit with you. Now that is beautiful. Whether it's for women's rights or social justice, Busy is not ashamed or afraid to speak her mind in any form or fashion, as we all saw. And that's something we all can learn from. Busy Phillips on The Brown Print. That's it for this week's episode of The Brown Print. Let's keep the conversation going online. You know I love to go online. Follow us on Instagram at The Brown Print Podcast and on Twitter at Brown Print Pod. Follow me, Carrie Champion, on IG and Twitter. You can find me at carry champion don't at me if you got attitude well okay we'd love to hear your feedback or if there's a specific topic you want us to tackle or guests that you want us to have on please reach out to the brownprintpod at gmail.com again at brownprintpod at gmail.com if you've enjoyed this episode share it with your friends it helps spread the word it is so important that we stay active and vocal We'd greatly appreciate it if you showed us some love by leaving a five-star rating and a positive review. If you do not, I know you are a hater. (laughs) Haha, kidding, kind of, not really. Meanwhile, uh, again, five-star rating and positive review. We need it. It really helps the podcast grow. The Brown Print is a Gallery Media Group original production.